everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearly, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Florence Leong, founder and director of Singapore-based biotech and healthier noodles firm Cosmo Health. Cosmo Health manufactures upcycled noodles under the WOW, spelled W-0-W, brand from spent barley, and Jetech is also capable of doing this with other grain types. So, hello Florence, welcome, first of all, and thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Really, really great to have you here. And I think I would like to just start off by talking a little bit more about the WOW noodles. So the last time we spoke, you did tell me that the zero in the spelling stands for zero calories, zero GIs, zero cholesterol, and quite a few other zeros, I think. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about this and how did the idea come about? Yeah, so the wow noodle, basically most people would instinctively think of it as W-O-W. So we have to emphasize, and that's why I emphasized to you last time that it's actually W-O-W. And the zero actually means zero starch, zero Mm. cholesterol, zero glycemic response, meaning that there's no increase in blood sugar after consuming the noodles and that it is a zero-waste circular product. Mm. And so it's not only good for the people, but it's also good for the earth. So mm. Cosmo Health actually has um, a core technology, which is in plant extractions. Okay, so we are able to extract bioactive from plants in a very uh, efficient, halal certifiable way. And we started off actually as a B2B, providing contract services to um customers in the agri-food sector. One of the biggest uh, type of spent grains generated in Singapore is spent barley grains by a beer brewery and by the malt producing industry. And we realized that there's a lot of protein and fiber, okay, in the spent barley grains because after um, they have produced a beer and produced the malt, the starch are all actually taken up and fermented. What is left mm-hmm. behind are actually protein and fiber. After we extracted protein and fiber, the question is, what can we do about it? And knowing that, okay, there's a huge issue of diabetes in Asia and the population is also aging. We thought, okay, why don't we challenge ourselves in doing a starchless noodles? Since noodles Mm -hmm. is actually our favorite, right? I mean, Asians love Mm -hmm. our noodles, but it's also a contributor to diabetes. More importantly, it also has protein. Mm-hmm. It's high in fiber because the other problem in, in the population is the underconsumption of fiber. One of the other major attractive elements about this noodle, apart from the health benefits, is the sustainability aspect as a, a major base ingredient in this noodle is upcycled barley. So is sustainability also a very big focal point for the brand or is it a just so happens sort of situation? I would love to say that, okay, yes, wild noodle is driven by sustainability, but I wouldn't lie, okay? Mm-hmm. I think wild noodle is driven by uh, pragmatism, because like I, mm-hmm. I mentioned, we, on one hand, we saw that, okay, there's a huge demand for plant protein, right, and low GI diabetic food. Mm-hmm. Then at the same time, from our experience working with, with other companies, we realized that there's this huge wastage of byproducts. Mm-hmm. So the pragmatic approach is, why don't I add one-to-one? right? Mm. Uh, recover the plant protein, okay? 
and at the same time meet the nutritional needs of mm. the human population. Uh, I also know that you are looking to scale up uh, when you are able to get hold of large enough amounts of spent barley. So for our listeners who might not yet know, do share with us what the major barriers you are seeing to scaling up at the moment actually are. Like you mentioned, one of the key challenges is really getting access to all the spent barley. I think the problem is large spent barley grains generators like the, the large beer breweries and the malt uh, producers, they are already doing a very good job in not dumping their spent grains in landfills and incinerators. In fact, I mean, they essentially have already upcycled their spent barley grains Okay, except that they are upcycling it for the animals and for the plants. Mm. And the collection process so far, therefore, is suitable for animals, but not for humans. Mm. So if I need to get access to the spent barley greens, then the whole process needs to be changed to a mm. food-grade collection process. Mm. Uh, so therein lies the challenge, I believe, because then the big companies have to look at what they need to do to change the whole collection process. And we know that while working, I mean, I worked with big farmers before, so I, mm. I know the long decision-making process, <laughs> you know, everything has to go up, up, up before it come down and then go up again. You know? So mm. I believe it will happen eventually, okay, but it will take some time. Right now, I'd like to turn it back a little bit and find out a bit more about your individual entrepreneurial path. So I understand you're from a marketing background and then you went into pharmaceuticals and then since you have founded quite a few different firms in Singapore. So could you tell me a little bit more about your journey and how you have you know, ended up with a stake in the food industry now, which looks like you know, you're expanding into? <laughs> It's an interesting journey. In fact, many people, they, they can't believe that I'm not a pharmacist or a science mm. graduate. So I often describe myself as a proud NUS business school alumni uh, who became a drug pusher. So uh, I, I always say I'm a business person who pretend to know a bit of science, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I would say that I spent bulk of my career actually with the big pharma and probably after almost uh, two two decades I mean actually I didn't want to say it because it would betray my age right <laughs> never mind <laughs> after almost two decades in the industry I, I felt that maybe some sort of midlife crisis okay i I felt I work uh, long enough in a big organization. I have driven a lot of organizational change, restructuring, went through three mergers, one organizational setup, and just 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 want to find out what life is outside the world of big farmers. So how did I get into the food industry? Because I just started off in bio and med tech, right? Yeah. yeah, but because of my role as um, a mentor and advisor in NUS Enterprise, mm -hmm. uh, I get to meet my co-founder, um, who is from NUS Food Science Technology. At that point, he he was amongst my first few mentees. After mentoring him for almost two years, um, I felt that the, the mission is very, very interesting because what he has really enable us to get things, all the nutrients out from plants in a very economical and efficient mm. way. What has struck you as the main difference between the food industry, which you currently are in, and other industries that you have been in, like particularly pharma, I guess, which is the one that you were in for the longest? I think that, um, mm. so pharmaceutical is more about treatment. 
Where else food is um, more about, I mean, people used to think about it as meeting the basic physiological needs, but now we know that food is uh, getting more and more attention. It's no mm -hmm. longer about just uh, filling your stomach. In fact, food is now becoming so important that, you know, it's more about health maintenance and even about prevention, disease prevention. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why we are talking about low GI, no GI, protein fiber mm. food, right? So there's this convergence. In fact, food, now people are saying that, okay, we should be looking at food you know, as a medicine rather than having medicine mm. as food. So having been in the pharma industry for so long, I'm very aware of the issues of uh, poor compliance. Okay, mm. yeah, you know, people do not want to take so many different types of tablets and compliance mm. is very low. We are talking about less than 30% of compliance, mm. especially for chronic conditions. Mm. So, I mean, one, what, what better way to uh, help disease prevention by making food healthier? Because we mm. need to eat anyway, so compliance mm. is not an <laughs> issue, correct? So I think this, mm. this is the reason why I'm feel that I can actually make use of my uh, knowledge within the pharma industry to extend it into the food industry, or should I say specifically the functional food industry? I think the market dynamics in pharma is very regulated. I mean, in mm. comparison with the food industry, it's more of self-regulation, mm. right? I mean, the pharma yeah. industry is also a more risky business. I mean, drug development is tedious, expensive, and risky mm. process. I mean, I, I myself was involved in a project, okay, that had fantastic preclinical and early phase results. But mm. uh, after two large 3,000 patients study, mm -hmm. okay, the result was as good as placebo. Oh, <laughs> so wow. it, it was, that was a sad day. Yeah, actually that was for stroke prevention. Yeah. Mm. On the other hand, the food industry, in, in the entry barrier is a lot lower. But mm -hmm. attrition rate is also very high. So in order to compete in the food industry, you know, you need to really have a very unique value proposition backed mm -hmm. by good marketing. And nowadays, the unique proposition again pertains to the functionality of the food. How how do you make it more nutritious? Such mm -hmm. that people want to eat it as a medicine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that all this is converging. Okay, you, you look with at the food industry now, it will increasingly be more regulated, especially as there's this shift towards uh, making more claims from uh, mm -hmm. the food. People should be more regulated in terms of the labels, the claims yep. you can make. Yep. And also with the introduction of cell-based meat, okay, mm. um, yeah, there definitely would also be more regulation. And I mm -hmm. think that is also necessary, part of the necessary evil. What? have been some personal and professional challenges that you have seen along the way making changes from pharma into food you know anything you've seen that's particularly interesting along this journey for you in the innovation ecosystem i think i would say that some of the challenges which i have uh maybe even in my mentorship journey because mm -hmm. I, I i mentor and advise um largely professors because I'm advised in the deep tech area and deep tech mm. startups are usually founded by professors. Uh, mm. That is one of a, a challenge because, you know, professors are very smart people. They have created <laughs> a lot of know-hows, you know, patterns, mm. have uh, written high impact paper. And as a result, it is 
quite challenging, okay, and difficult for mm -hmm. them to understand that, you know, the world of business requires a different skill set that mm -hmm. is not so simple. Yeah, and there's always this tendency for, for founders, deep tech founders, to love the technology so much that mm -hmm. they refuse to let go. And sometimes mm -hmm. when you love your baby so much, you suffocate them, you, mm -hmm. you know, while hugging them. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it is really about knowing when to let go, understanding that people, not technology, make the difference. Mm -hmm. And at certain times, they just uh, need to let other people who can do things better take over. It's, it's, it's just like motherhood. Okay, I am a mother. So mm -hmm. you know that at different stage, right? You cannot keep your children in the kindergarten forever, right? <laughs> they, they have to move from different type of teachers, you know, kindergarten mm -hmm. teachers, mm -hmm. primary school teachers. So it's the same principle. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. like I say, because uh, Deep Tech Startup are founded by professors, uh, very smart people, and it's very difficult for them to acknowledge that a business is, is difficult, you know. To yeah. them, it's like it's so difficult about business, right? If if I can create this uh, huge technology which nobody else can, business is easy peasy. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Do you have any advice for those out there who are trying to set up a company or go in the same direction you have? Maybe from you know bank from banking to pharma to food. If anybody's in that trajectory, <laughs> I I I think that's okay. The most important thing is to examine the reason why. Why do they want mm. to do this? Why do they want to be an entrepreneur? And the reason why I'm saying this is because now it's, it seems cool to be an entrepreneur. It's not like when I first started, people think I'm crazy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now it seems like a cool thing to do, but it is really a, a, a risky and treacherous journey. So mm. it's very important that whoever wants to do it, they ask themselves, why am I doing this? What, what am I trying to achieve? If they think that this is a quick uh, get rich kind of scheme, then I would say that there are easier ways, less risky mm -hmm. ways to get rich. Okay. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if they want to really experience and have fast learning, okay, maybe a bit misochistic. <laughs> I, I think you do need a bit of that, you know. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And and they, they want to make an impact in, in the market. Yes. I, I think that they have to be psychologically prepared for it. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to have a stomach for it. They also need to assess the risk appetite. Because like I say, it is relatively risky. So they do they have do they have the I mean firstly can they afford to fail? If they cannot afford to fail, then I don't think mm -hmm. this is a journey for them. Yeah. Uh, and do they have the support of their loved ones? Because there, there are cases where really uh, husband and wife, family fall apart because, you know, it's finance, right, can be very straining <laughs> on, mm -hmm. on the family. Yeah. So, and once they have said that, yes, I've got the right motive, I'm going I'm going to uh, go through this, no, no turning back, I, I can afford to, to fail, then I'll say go for it, okay? Plan for success, but be prepared for failure. Where do you see yourself and Cosmode Health in the next 12 months perhaps, and also five years down the line? Do you have bigger plans for the food sector particularly? Will you have more food products, you know, or a bigger stake in the F&B industry? 
Mm, definitely. I mean, as, as we, we need to grow up, right? So, because mm-hmm. what health needs to grow up. I think we have come to a stage where we have already demonstrated market traction. I mean, we launched Wow Noodles on mm-hmm. first Feb, and the response has been very encouraging. Definitely, we, we are looking at scaling up. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, now we are doing online sale. Okay, mm-hmm. but we are looking at reaching out to uh, like health outlets. You know, you know, to be showcasing the wow noodles in the menu. We are looking at even expanding into uh, retail outlets, but a very focused one. That means those who basically sell food, uh, functional food or materials, health health supplements or materials for the diabetics. Mm. So in, in the short run, we are we are raising we are currently raising money. Mm-hmm. Okay, to uh, increase our production capability. Um, and also to expand our business. When five years down the road, okay, my dream, okay, this is my dream, that mm-hmm. is that we would be able to harness all the spend Valley drains in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And with that, okay, we can produce more than 650 million serving of the wild mm-hmm. noodles, which is enough, okay, is enough to even achieve economies of scale such that the wild noodles is accessible and affordable to people at the ground level if at hawker center they can afford to say mm. uh, instead of saying uh what what are noodles doing hokkien mee kuih tiao they can say hokkien mee kuih tiao or wow mm. <laughs> now uh, that is that is the day i'm looking forward to okay mm. where functional food you know is no longer uh, just something which the the people with deep pockets can afford but everybody mm-hmm. can afford it thank you so much for joining me today florence it was really wonderful to catch up with you and to learn so many new and interesting things i have to say thanks for having me uh i hope that i didn't bore anybody <laughs> <laughs> i assure you i was definitely 100 not bored so yes thank you so much it was really good to have you and thank you also everyone for listening to this podcast as well and i wish everyone a great day ahead for food navigator asia this is pearly signing up